Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Uh, John Fardy is going to be here in just a few minutes' time. John, what's on the agenda for Screen Time this week? Thank you, Jess. Well, obviously, the big release of the week is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is actually very good. You'll be pleased to hear. And I talked to its director, James Mango, the man who gave us Walk the Line and Logan and Copland. So I have a great chat with him. And we review the week's other new releases. And I talked to the one and only Derek Mooney about his favourite movie. Great stuff, all of that and more on the way just after six. But before we get to John, I'm joined now by William Dalton, who is the VP and MD of Trend Micro in Cork. William, you're very welcome to the show. Uh, You guys are a cybersecurity firm that has just celebrated two decades in Cork, which is some milestone. Before we look at the trends that have emerged in the world of cybersecurity over that time, can you just talk me through what the company was back in the day? Yeah, so it's been a really interesting journey. Um, If you look back 20 years ago, the cyber industry actually wasn't even called cyber industry back then. Um, It was around, uh, you know, security. And um, even at the time, the the type of security challenges were very, very different than what we see today, which are a lot more sophisticated, mainstream and and, uh, impactful. Um, But, you know, back then we did see, uh, you know, the company has actually been operating 35 years and decided to locate in Cork and centralizes operation there um, because we saw the um you know the, the the growth that was going to happen we you know we forecasted the the type of uh, threats that were going to be uh manifested in the industry how that was going to impact on on the on the general uh, business landscape and, and consumer landscape and invested in cork uh, we we started out with a really small team of 30 people over the first year and uh, from then till now, grew that to 270 people. Uh, in Cork, we support the European business uh, primarily, and we have a range of functions uh, which are, you know, from IT, um, HR, legal, finance, uh, customer operations, more in, in the back end, but more field oriented then as well. In Deal Desk, now we see that moving into as we move from a, a software company to a SaaS company, uh, as we see the proliferation of cloud, we're getting a lot more. Uh, sophisticated functions in in helping customers migrate those uh, migration challenges and um, helping those you know, different type of um, uh, consumption models and different marketplaces, et cetera. So uh, we've seen huge amount of evolution in the different organizations and and, and it's quite diverse set of, of people, uh, quite a diverse set of functions uh, that are in the site today, very different than 20 years ago. Yeah, and I suppose the, the important bit is that that uh, cybersecurity ecosystem that's built up, particularly in Cork, over the last two decades. Um, yep. You know, we on this program have had many of your colleagues uh, from different organisations on the program over the years, and it does seem that there is a, a proper cluster. You know, a, a every uh, part of the country might be known for certain things, like always very well known for medtech, for example. Yep. Uh, am I right in my assessment that there is that cybersecurity cluster in the Cork, in the region of Cork? There is. I mean, I, I've been I've been kind of talking about this quite a lot over the years. In in that, if you look at the cybersecurity hubs in uh, across the globe, you have pretty much out of the US. And next kind of cluster is is Israel. There's a huge amount of innovation happening around cybersecurity in Israel. And I would say, it, third on par with anywhere else is is Cork. Um, you know, we were the first cybersecurity company to establish in Cork. Um, back in you know 2003, and quickly from that, I think uh, IDA started to you know introduce companies as well, and um, 
you can see that there was a bit of a growth uh, spurt within the first five, six years after we joined. And start that cluster started to form and then it started to become more sophisticated as you see those core companies or larger companies kind of establish and then all the kind of subsidiaries associated with that kind of ecosystem then start to tag onto it. So, yeah, it's uh, as I said, we we punch well above our weight globally uh, for the size that we are. Uh, and there is uh, there is a very strong cyber cluster in Cork. And a little bit around the the trends, because obviously, you know, the biggest cybersecurity story was when the ransomware attack on the HSC happened. And although maybe individuals and their companies may have sat through cybersecurity briefings or been told not to click on links, the, the HSE attack was the one that made everybody sit up straight and appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. Had you seen the threat level progress consistently over the last two decades or has it, you know, really ramped up over an eight-year period or something like that? Yeah, so I think that there's different um, there's different stages where we see maybe a little bit more acceleration in, in regards to the sophistication of threats or the the, the novelty of of the attack vectors and stuff. Um, but I think one of the one of the big ones I think that probably captured people's imaginations more. And, and become more mainstream is probably around ransomware because ransomware is, is easier probably to understand and 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 the, the impact is more visible. So like for example in the HAC HAC case that was you know that's, that was a ransomware attack, and uh, you know people can relate to that a little bit better. And 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 what we see now is that the there's a huge amount of business models even <clears throat> within the cyber uh, area where it's it's so sophisticated you know uh, you have these um entities that are operating cross borders cross legislative barriers that are providing functions to uh hackers or bad actors in in different regions that can source material tooling techniques support even resourcing or uh, revenue support to to get get a, a cyber business i would say a cyber attacking business up and running and uh, and do those localized attacks because they have the nuance uh, and the understanding of how to do that kind of attack uh, within that region, and then that kind of a that that kind of business model where where people are remote and supporting them it's it's harder to catch. So it's um it's really sophisticated, and it it this is the one that probably becomes more visible to people because as I said, it's the it's probably the biggest acceleration back to your question, and it's the one that's more visible or understandable on the consumer side. The, the 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 obviously as the trends become uh, more established, we know that the cyber criminals are getting more advanced the entire time. Every element of technology or uh, opportunity that arises, they they grasp it with both hands and they find a way to make it work for them. From your side and from the company's side. What are the skills that you and, and the roles that you guys have had to create and adapt to ensure that you're not just catching up, but you're trying to get ahead and you're trying to predict what's coming next? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I think one of the um, one of the, the advancements we've seen on the last number of years is definitely around AI. <clears throat> so we've been using a lot of like uh, threat modeling and predictive uh, modeling to understand threats and. One of the things that we we've done, and one we've been one of the pioneers, is actually when somebody gets uh, gets hit with with some sort of virus or some sort of of um, attack, we basically model that attack and uh, in regards to like the tools, techniques, procedures used, and we create a pattern of of um, that attack profile, and then 
we basically protect against that attack profile. So any, any similar attacks come in that we can basically they're then proliferated to all the different um, customers and, and endpoints within that environment. So it's um, uh, AI is, I guess, is one accelerator for this. But then on, on the other side, we see um, with the advent of, for example, generative AI and, and ChatGPT, we we see email is still uh, and always is one of the attack vectors that's used to penetrate in and then do lateral movement and then they kind of establish themselves in the network. So, um, customizing an email to to entice somebody to click and download some sort of payload onto their environment and and without them even knowing is is the primary attack vector. So, with ChatGPT now, one of the challenges is that in the past we would be able to identify. Uh, threat actors because maybe they had misspelling, they had bad grammar. It wasn't in the local context of that particular environment that they were they were dealing with, and probably a little bit easier to spot. But now they can use ChatGPT and they can customize it into that. They can get more context around the environment. They can there's a better chance they can curate uh, an email to entice someone to do something to get that entry into the into the door. So, on one hand, it's uh it's it's helping us to kind of uh, get ahead and stay ahead by modeling and 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 having those protection mechanisms. Um, and then we're no, it's no kind of interesting because we're using AI potentially to fight AI. So that's, that's an interesting conundrum. Yeah. And, and I think that's where people, I suppose, are, are struggling to grasp with the good versus evil side of AI, to put it in a dramatic stance, because obviously it's an incredibly powerful tool which can be used for good or for bad. And you obviously want it to use, be used for good where possible. Um, I've spoken before with different cybersecurity firms who've talked a little bit about, you know, you, you mentioned earlier on SaaS, so like software as a service, but we now know that there's things like ransomware as a service and we know that there's, you know, bad actors. They don't have to be sophisticated groups who do this on a professional basis. It could be me in my bedroom, bored, looking to cause a bit of havoc. So I go online, I get my hands on something. I'm not intelligent enough to know the the, the capabilities or the limitations and that could actually wreak more havoc than a professional guy doing it. Are you seeing, and again, can your team identify the sophisticated operators versus the, the lone wolves who are just going at it for the crack? Yeah, we do. Um, so w- when we talk about something like ransomware service, it's generally a set of tooling that's provided to that person in their bedroom who's creating a bit of havoc or whatever uh, interesting uh, terminology you use for that. But we would be able to look at the 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 type of approach taken, the type of tooling taken. Uh, so we have a huge amount of like industry um, intelligence around uh, cyber intelligence around these bad actors, and based on the you know the there's a, there's a lot of stuff we can do to identify where the source of it came from. So, but by that kind of profiling, we can identify generally who's the who's the bad actors in the back end that are that are helping those kind of frontline criminals. Um, so yeah, it's it's quite easy. to to detect who they are. It's a little bit, it's easier to detect who they are. It's a little bit harder to catch them because they cross, they work cross-border. They have different legislation, uh, different regulation, reg- regulatory environments. Sometimes they have servers that they're using, which are um, uh, providing the servers from a different regulatory environment and they're actually operating them from another environment again. So they could be behind multi-layers. Uh, so it's really hard for for police and, and, and the uh, intelligence services to actually hunt them down and track them down. So that's that's the challenge. And we do a lot of work with Interpol and, and other agencies 
um, crime agencies to help in the fight against the bad actors and it's it's a collective effort. Yeah and, and that's a really interesting point because last October when I spoke to Richard Brown of the National Cyber Security Centre he was saying that the, the multi-body, multi-country, multi-continent collaboration is vital because if you just look at the trends in one country in Europe that's not actually representative of the whole picture. You have to see what's going on. You have to learn from each other. And does that collaboration, I'm curious, does that collaboration happen amongst other cybersecurity firms or is it just with other bodies? Like how much information sharing goes on? So there's there's a huge amount of um, standardization that has happened across the cyber industry. So um, things like frameworks, uh, compliance frameworks, then there's a lot of work on the MITRE, for example, they do like attack frameworks. So how you map, um, how you kind of create common language so people can understand how to kind of profile attacks. So there's there's a lot of, I would say, standardization has happened in the industry as a whole over the last, you know, you know, 20, 30 years. Um, cyber companies generally, uh, they work in collaboration with the other agencies in regards to We've seen, we do it, but we've also seen others as well that collaborate and provide intel to, to government agencies and, and, and police force, et cetera, to uh, help in the fight against the bad actors. So it's it's a collaborative effort and we do we do work together to for the common cause, you know, so that's um, even our mission, for example, is is around creating a world safe for exchanging digital information. And for us to achieve that mission, we have to work with other parties and even competitors to make sure it happens. And this might be a stupid question, but... Like obviously the people who are working for you guys are incredibly intelligent, know what they're doing from a technical point of view. But when a company or an individual or a government is the target of a cyber attack of whatever nature, there's the human element to it as well. Like it's deeply concerning. There's like invasions of privacy, there's GDPR, there's maybe financial implications. How important is the management of the of the human emotion associated with a ransomware attack because very often we just talk about the sums of money or the data that was accessed but but it's a very very personal thing even if it is a business like if you're if you're you're the ceo of a company or even if you're the internet of a company it is very personal when something like this does happen yeah it it is Uh, like i don't know how many times i've got a phone call and um you know Basically, somebody saying, you know, I've been hit, um, operations are down, uh, global operations are affected, um, and, you know, somebody asking for help. And we obviously come in and, and try to, you know, mitigate and get 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 recovery practices in place to help help those companies. So that has happened on multiple occasions. And it's, you know, if somebody's not ready for that, if they don't have a predetermined plan and or they may have a plan where it's not fully covered the the situation that happened. That's a really, really stressful uh, situation to be in. And you have a really, really small time to make uh, a small number of high quality decisions uh, under severe pressure with business pressure, uh, team pressure, probably working 24 by seven for about four to five days to get, you know, systems operations back up and running, trying to figure out how to sleep in between, how to keep, uh, board updated on the progress, how to manage external communications, how to deal with third parties to help kind of recover the situation. It's really, really stressful. And, you know, hats off to anybody who who goes through that, you know, even if you talk about the HSC environment, that that was um that was really, really scary for 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 the, all the people involved for a long period of time. Um uh for for a sustained period of time and really, really stressful. So 
it, I, I have huge empathy for anybody going through that situation. And, and that's why we're always, our approach is basically down tools and prioritize any kind of uh, customer remediation because that's, uh, we understand the, the situation they're in. The, uh, the final question I have is looking to the future. So obviously 20 years in Cork is an amazing achievement, but there's no sign of the world of cybersecurity slowing down uh, and the need for people like yourselves. Are you consistently looking at, uh, we mentioned earlier on, but new technologies, but also uh, new talent sets that might be, and skill sets that might be needed for your business to ensure that you are covering all bases because we know that the nature of these attacks is going to evolve over time. Yeah, so one one thing we've definitely seen, we've probably seen an evolution, <clears throat> like um, uh, definitely developing more threat exper- expertise versus, I would say, um, I would say break fix type uh, mindset. So uh, a lot of the um, a lot of the skill set now is really on the hunting and adversary uh, elements of of cyber. Um, we also seen, uh, for example, even our own company, we've we've branched out into other other areas where we see cyber threats evolve. So, uh, for for myself, for example. I'm heading up the business in Europe for the um, automotive cybersecurity sector as well, where we see the explosion of electric vehicles and the connected car, and you know whether there's connect connection for through EV charging or over the or up software updates to the car or Wi-Fi connectivity or Bluetooth connectivity, uh, all of those the attack surface within within the connected car and the smart cities is going to be another area where the, the attack surface for cyber attacks is going to increase. We see that on the operational side and the manufacturing sector. We see that on the communication technology now with more, um, you know, more radio activity and more high high bandwidth, low latency, um, uh, connectivity uh, across the globe. So, the attack surface for cyber has just exploded, and as you say, the skill sets required, either from subject matter expertise within those verticals, or on I would say common expertise in regards to you know uh, threat hunting and and um, uh, analysis and investigation is becoming more sophisticated and deeper. So um, it's it's both evolving and expanding at the same time. Yeah, well, look, it's a fascinating space and uh, congratulations on 20 years in Cork. It is a great achievement. Uh, William Dalton, thank you so much for joining us here on Newstalk. Thank you, Jess. That was William Dalton, VP and MD of Trend Micro in Cork. And that's it from me this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the Newstalk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's Newstalk Breakfast. But in the meantime, have a great weekend.